0: what's great about group two is your healing is not just your healing. So yeah, you get to own your healing and enjoy it and enjoy the aches and pains of it too. <laughs> but what you're right, when your work is out in the center of the group floor, other folks around get to say, wait a minute, that's my work too. Okay, let me watch and see how Sarah's working through her stuff, because what she's working through is helping me to work through mine. And that doesn't happen in individuals.
1: You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole.
2: Hi, Annalisa. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. Glad to be here. I'm so glad that you could join us today for this conversation about the power of group therapy. So why don't you start by telling our listeners just a little bit about what kind of therapist or psychologist you are?
0: Sure. So I would define myself as a therapist who has many hats and many things that I love. So I do individual counseling, couples, also groups. So group therapy, one of my favorites at this point, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. And I also coordinate the groups program, the group therapy program at the CWC.
2: Okay. So what is the difference just very generally between like a one-on-one relationship with a counselor versus somebody deciding to be a part of a therapy group? Like what what are some of the big differences between those two things?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question because I think sometimes people don't understand how powerful it could be to be in a group compared to individual. So a lot of times individual counseling is viewed kind of like as the gold standard and the go-to and anything other than that is substandard and that's far from the truth. So when it comes to group, group counseling is is so rich in many ways. So when you meet with someone one-on-one, yeah, that's meaningful. Someone's listening attentively to you. You know, it's all about you in that moment. But in a group setting, you really get to build a sense of community that you just cannot do with one other person. And often what I find too is sometimes my clients in individual therapy are like, well, you just have to be nice to me or you have to say these things to me to make me feel better. Whereas when you're in group, they trust the realness a little bit more. Uh, even though I'm really at individual counseling too, they just trust it differently in group, especially because they're getting feedback from group members too. And the group members have no reason for them <laughs> to be quote unquote nice to this other stranger. Um, and so they can trust the honesty that happens in group a little bit more.
2: Yeah. And I want to get into that a little bit more as we talk today, but I wonder if you would just paint us the picture of What even group looks like what somebody could expect, like, I think we bring a lot of um, ideas about group therapy from television or movies and just kind of set the stage a little bit, like how many people all of that stuff. So
0: there are different types of groups depending on the type of group you're in the experience will be very different. So we have what we call psychoeducational groups which is one kind of group and interpersonal process groups which are completely different. So psychoeducational groups can feel to some degree a little bit more like a class. <laughs> um not exactly, but it can feel more like that. Like there is a skills building or you're learning about some sort of topic related to your mental health or psychology in general. So it's usually about learning something and then there's some space to process and then you're doing it in an environment or in a way where you can have community around this skill or thing that you're learning, which um, is a little different from some classes. I know some classes nowadays, they're trying to make it more engaging, um, but some are just very lecture style. So a psychoeducational group is not lecture. So there should be a few minutes of introducing some material and then processing what that's like, exploring barriers to, to applying that into your life, things like that. So that's one group. Interpersonal process group, completely different. Um, So there is no like, quote unquote, we're teaching you anything or we're building any skill. Um, It's all about being in a space with other people in a sincere and authentic manner and kind of seeing all the goodness. Well, I call it goodness and juiciness that comes from that, right? So we know when we're in relationship with other people, stuff comes up. So it could be feelings of love, excitement, just enjoyment, but there's also jealousy, fear, anxiety, all sorts of things come up in our relationships. And so in an interpersonal process group, the idea is, well, we don't necessarily try to do it, it just kind of happens. Um, We create a safe place for people to be themselves and bring who they are kind of to the room and then see what comes up. And what often comes up is we recreate dynamics or interpersonal patterns that we have outside of group session. The cool thing about doing it in the group room is you have a therapist in the room with you. (laughs) And so we can bring that to your attention. We can help you kind of look at what's going on, why that's going on, give you some clear feedback, which is also something we don't often get in our own personal lives, unfortunately. But we can give you the feedback and then support you through doing something different if that's what you'd like. So an interpersonal process group is really an opportunity to work through any relationship patterns or relational patterns that might not be working for you in your life.
2: That's a lot um, in what you're saying. And I wonder, um, let me ask you a basic question and then maybe provide, we can talk some about examples of what that sounds like and looks like in practice. How, how many people are in a group? (laughs) Is that a hundred people? Like how many people are we talking about? Sorry, I feel like I can go into so
0: much detail about one particular aspect of group that you're like, give me like a a summary. And I'm like, a summary? How do I do that? Groups are amazing. Um, Well, as you can tell, I love groups, so I could talk about this forever. But how many people are in a group? That can also vary. Um, So when it comes to a counseling or a therapy group, you know, it could be as low as five, although ideally you have more than five people in a group. Ideally, you'd be around eight or so. Um, Maybe max up to, again, it depends on the group facilitators, how many you have, but I would say a max of 15. I know some people go all the way up to 15. I think for me, my ideal would be between eight and 10.
2: Okay. And why that number roughly? What's good about that number? Yeah.
0: So the great thing about having that number is you have enough people to represent different quote unquote, characters in your life, right? Um, So enough diversity in the room to kind of reflect what you might see outside of the counseling space, but not so many people that it just becomes a little chaotic. Uh, You know, a lot is happening in a group session. Think about when you're out in your world and you're maybe at a dinner table with your family Thanksgiving. There's a lot happening at that table. And so adding more than 12, there's a lot of energy, a lot for a group counselor to navigate and manage. And again, we don't want things to just go haywire. We want it to be challenging enough or enough to come up that we can look up, but not so much that it's difficult to navigate or manage. Or it's a, it's
2: to. almost like trying to get the sweet spot for enough dynamics in the group to, yeah. br- to bring things up and challenge the participants, but also... You don't want people to feel like they have to compete for time or attention or space either. Yeah, that too.
0: If there's too much, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like people are not getting enough space to be heard or to be seen. And so much could be happening that we can't speak to all of it. We can never speak to all of it, but um, that a lot would go missed or unspoken.
2: Okay, so what are some common issues interpersonal which means our relationships with others or intrapersonal like our relationship with ourself our feelings about mm-hmm. ourselves. what are some common issues or struggles that students come into group therapy with that they find this process group uh format really helpful for sure So there's a wide range of
0: things people could come in with, so for sure if they're talking about feeling lonely or disconnected in their lives, so not feeling connected to other people, Um, Even if there's a large number of people that are around them or that they interact with, but not feeling a deep connection, for sure that would be a thing. But sometimes folks don't even name that in particular. They might be naming depression or anxiety or just feeling like out of sorts or life just doesn't feel fulfilling. And as we dig in a little bit deeper, you know, one-on-one, I might find, okay, there's a big hole in terms of connections to other people. And so, when I think of those things, I would think of an interpersonal process group, uh, but it could be for much more too. Their interpersonal process group can be really helpful for folks who are looking for—I don't—I wouldn't say like-mindedness, but similar experiences where they feel like they might be the only one, or they're struggling with something that's really difficult, and having a community of folks who have experienced things similarly could be really helpful in healing. So I think about that also. So common experiences like I work a lot with black women um, and black women's groups. um, And so racial trauma, even though that's not named as such, uh, I hear it in all these different ways. And a lot of times can feel really isolating for the individual. They do can really feel like it's really just them, even though they read about it and hear other people are experiencing that, having an explicit conversation about that with someone else and the other person saying, yeah, me too folks don't always get that. And so having a space uh, to do so, to talk about those things, even if they don't bring it up, but to hear the words of their experience being spoken by someone across from them is extremely powerful.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking about how many times students have questioned, are they just imagining it Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing? And to have that instant understanding and validation um, is can just be such a relief for people and so like through that relief like a settling in to a sense of safety and like oh I can be at home in this Mm -hmm. space and I can be like at home in myself around these other people which is for all interpersonal groups I think the potential gift that's there. Absolutely. Um, but especially for folks who come from groups that have experienced a lot of additional harm, that collective can just meet a need that's hard to come by in other places.
0: Yes. You said something that really stuck out to me that they can be within themselves. And so what I hear a lot from folks that I work with in groups is they might not name it as such, but having to put on this mask, to survive in the world or to engage in the world, um, to not kind of be eaten alive. So they have to wear these masks and it can be really exhausting to wear that mask. And it can lead to all sorts of mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, you know, suicidal thoughts, You know, depending on how long you're wearing that mask and how many masks you're having to switch around or how thick that mask is. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, and so what's really beautiful about group is, If cultivated well, which as group therapists, we really strive to do that. If cultivated well, folks slowly start um, playing around with moving the mask, see how it feels. Okay, that felt safe. Maybe I'll take it off a little longer. And when you get to a point where as a therapist, you see them take off the mask once they walk into the room and don't put it on immediately, um, you know, when things get challenging in session or when they're talking about their experience or as soon as they're leaving, that you kind of see they're leaving the mask behind a little bit. That's just really beautiful to see.
2: Tell me about that. Even as they're leaving the group, they might also be leaving the mask behind a little bit. Because I I was thinking for Black women, like the mask is part of a survival strategy, right? So there may be, for anybody in group, there may be times when obviously we've developed the mask in response to, you know, the conditions of our lives to try to navigate that. So there it's not always safe to just leave the mask off indefinitely, but talk to me about like, so if I go to group and I have this really rich and connected and authentic experience in group, and then I leave the group and I'm back out in my life that's like crappy and like disconnected and doesn't feel safe. Like Mm -hmm. how is group supposed to help me once group is over when I'm not in that group for that hour and a half a week?
0: Sure. So group can
2: help that in multiple ways.
0: So to one end, you know, when you get, I you know, I I love food. So I think about food in, in many ways, but when you've been really hungry and you get a nice nourishing meal Um, How, how that satisfaction can linger for a while. And so it's similar to that, you know, and your body works better when you're properly nourished, those kinds of things. So it's similar to that. So in group, we're, we're trying to provide you with a really nourishing healing space. And so getting some of that does trickle into your life in different ways. So, so that's one, but we also talk about in group. So in group, we're having very honest conversations. We're not beating around the bush, you know. And if we are, we're kind of acknowledging that we're beating around the bush. There's there's a lot of honesty in the experience in the group session. And so we we talk about those things too. We openly talk about what are the masks we have to wear and why, and being able to identify what places are a little more safe to take off the mask and exploring that. And so Even though you come into the session, you're feeling safe, you're feeling wonderful, group members are also challenged to try out new skills or explore things that they're learning in the session in their lives. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work for a particular setting, right? And so you might take off your mask briefly, test it, see how it works in a different relationship. If it doesn't quite work, so I'll put it back on. (laughs) And I encourage folks to do that. Don't disarm yourself. And go out in, in, into um, a battlefield, but you can challenge because a lot of times we assume things are not safe, and um, sometimes they're a little safer than we we
2: think. But we have Some to situations. be, yeah. But we have to be willing to take that risk to be vulnerable yes. to find out if it's safe or not.
0: Yes. And and we can talk about it in group before you even try it. Like you don't just have to jump in. We can explore it. We can talk about it. We can see what feels safe. The group supports you through that too, which is also really nice. Um, And so if the other group members can support you through it, they're also trying it out. They're sharing kind of their perspective, their experience with that, which is also really powerful about group too, is that you get other people's perspectives and you get to kind of vicariously learn through their Lived experiences. Uh, whereas in one on one counseling, the therapist shouldn't be telling you about their lives and all of their lived experience.
2: Yeah. What about feedback? So let's talk mm-hmm. about feedback. One sure. of the beautiful opportunities that's also a really uncomfortable opportunity in these process groups is to hear from your peers. Uh what they how they experience you like what they think about you I know (laughs) and how they feel about you and I know for me like you know as a certainly in college and for many many years beyond college I was carried a lot of insecurities you know about how I looked about how judgments that other people might have had about me Mm -hmm. as being not good enough too intense a little bit weird and alternative and like hard to get to know uh you know i i carried a lot of fears that just people didn't like me or didn't want to know me and so Thankfully, like, you know, a lot of that has gotten better and and some of it really got better as a result of being in group therapy myself. The thing is, is like we carry a lot of those insecurities around and we don't really have an opportunity to like ask other people. Yes. You know, is is how I think you see me, how you're actually seeing me. Mm-hmm. And we're in COVID now, which makes it even harder. But I used to give the example, like you're in classrooms sitting next to your peers, and you, you're all on your phones and your laptops, and you might be sitting there thinking, gosh, do I smell bad? Or like, what does this person think mm-hmm. about me? You're not gonna turn to them and say, you know. What are your perceptions of me? What are your, first, right? Like we don't have that kind of culture where we can really right. check out those fears. Um, so how is group different? Yeah, so you,
0: you, you spoke to a number of things. We get lots of feedback. Um, sometimes our feed, the feedback we receive is clear, it's rooted in care and honesty, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's so unclear, you have to make sense of it. And so we carry all these things around. And then you're right. We don't have a culture of clarifying or asking and saying, what do you really feel? So we're just getting these random tidbits along the way and carrying them with us and living life and trying to adapt who we are based on that. It's complicated. What's really nice about GRU is we try to untangle some of that. Right, we carry the feedback we've received so far, but this is an opportunity to hear it from people in the room with you, and you have a therapist there to kind of untangle some of the um, potential like lost meaning around what's being shared. So I always tell folks who are going to be in my group that are you I, will I ask, are you open to feedback? What is it like for you to receive feedback? Because I also want to kind of warn folks what they're getting into. But we we ask for just honest, open reactions, responses, thoughts, feelings people are having to being in the room with someone, to hearing what folks have to say, how people behaved in the session. So we're just asking for, for like honest responses to that. And as people share that, if it sounds unclear to me, I, as the therapist, will say, okay, help me understand this a little bit more. I'll try to kind of reflect back what I'm hearing and try to, you know, make it clear. Um, and then also check on the person who received that feedback. Like, what did you hear them say? Because a lot of times, too, how what we're hearing is not necessarily what's being communicated. And so my role as a therapist is to help facilitate how that feedback is given and received. So I'm not altering it. I'm just adding clarity if I can and maybe uncovering what's underneath it. Because again, feedback can be really hard to hear. And so sometimes it feels like an attack and sometimes it is. (laughs) And so if it is, as a therapist too, I'm also naming that. And if it's not, you know, we'll have an opportunity to explore that further.
2: What are some interpersonal patterns that you have noticed students giving each other? Maybe initially hard to hear feedback, but like hopefully ultimately really valuable for them? Like what are some common patterns of relating that we bring into a group that can make it hard for people to feel connected to us?
0: Quite a few. One of the things that I often see, again, you talked. we talked about having to wear a mask in this world. So a lot of times folks come in guarded. So, so guarded can look like many things. So guarded can look kind of like defensive. Guarded can look cold. It can um, be like curt responses, um, just not giving much, Uh, but guarded could also look like I am filling up the space with all this nothingness or like with all this chatter that you don't get to connect with me in a meaningful way. Or I'm just gonna tell you about stories and entertain you rather than really allow you to see the vulnerable parts of me. And so we see those patterns in group. Um, I'm sorry, I think
2: I strayed a little bit. No, that's uh, those are question, great, but those are great examples.
0: Yeah, so I see the gardenness a lot. I also see folks just really struggling to connect. Well, it's similar, right? but but maybe a different purpose, but really struggling to connect, wanting to connect so so much that they end up doing it in ways that folks don't want to connect in that way. And so again, maybe the entertaining is another thing I see.
2: Yeah, things like that. Or just like talking about a lot of chit chat type of stuff or giving a lot of details that just aren't that meaningful that um, are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's say that I was in your group and I was doing that, Annalisa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How would you as the therapist or another you know student in the group who was brave, like how would you? talk to me about that if I was kind of coming in each week and for lack of a better word dominating the space Mm -hmm. telling you what I had for dinner a few nights ago and what color sweater my boyfriend was wearing and Mm -hmm. um you know how many likes I got on Instagram and just just talking about things that were hard to connect with how would you bring that to my awareness I think sometimes we think
0: honest means brutal, right? Cuz yeah. we hear brutally honest or even me,
2: mean, or like mean, yeah.
0: Or or you need to tell, you know, comment right. you need to tell that person about themselves. You know, like it's and the idea is to do it in this harsh kind of cold water, you know, freezing water in their face kind Almost of way.
2: like a cancel culture type of thing, like just yes. shut that person down. And that is absolutely not what we do in group. So
0: as therapists, we have the understanding that people are the way they are for a reason. It's not because they're just annoying, which is a term we hear a lot from clients. It's not just that they're annoying or they're mean. There's a reason why. And so trying to approach that with compassion and kindness is really important. Let's say you were kind of talking about all these things that didn't seem meaningful I might ask if those things were meaningful to you because maybe they are but if they're not I might encourage you to look at well why do you think we're going here and to do that out loud with the group like why do you think we're talking about the color of your boyfriend's sweater and what you ate for dinner like I'm wondering what was really going on in your day or your life that maybe you might want to talk about um, or that feels more meaningful for you And then I might outright just share, you know, I'm having a hard time connecting to you. I I get the sense there's more to you than these details you're sharing. And I want to connect. So really communicating that I want to connect with the person. Our intention can be really important, like what we're wanting. Very often we don't say what we want. We try to act it out and hope the other person guesses. But I try to be really explicit and clear. But I'm wanting to connect with you. And I'm wondering if we could do this a little different.
2: So, that it's extended as an invitation uh, yes. rather than a criticism. Correct. Yeah.
0: That's a perfect way to, to capture it. Yeah. It's not about criticizing, it's about like letting you know this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I'm observing. Is that true? Are my observations true? Because my perception might not be accurate. And then we kind of work through that together and say, okay, well, this is what I, I think I would need in order to feel more connected to you. What do you need in order to, to connect with me?
2: Tell me about when you initially try to recruit people into your groups. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How do they respond? How do you get people to sign up for this experience, which sounds really cool, but also really scary and really uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, really uncomfortable and just so new Yeah. and usually I'm a stranger to these folks right, right. like unless I've been working with them in individual counseling it's usually that they right. have, like why would they trust me right you're,
2: well you're like you know and also like I might go to a stranger who's a therapist and maybe tell them my secrets maybe but mm-hmm. you want me to come into a room with eight other students yeah. who are my peers and tell them you know, show them who I really am.
0: But i talk to them about how powerful group could be and why, and what we're trying to do and the intention. So this is a space for you to connect with other folks. And, but one of the things that I allow, I, Which is also really nice about group that I allow group members, potential group members to know is that they don't have to say a word if they don't want that first session. Right. So I ask for five or six sessions to give it a a true opportunity to see if this is this could work for them. And they don't have to say much. So they get to dictate like, you know, if I ask them how they're doing that day, they can just say fine if they really want. And that's okay. And then they can just kind of scope it out and observe and see how others are doing and how I'm facilitating the group and see if it feels like a good space for them. I am so confident with giving them that out because I really know that once folks get into that space and see how powerful it can be, they're going to share.
2: Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.
0: Hard conversations are hard for a reason. It can be uncomfortable to reach out to someone who is showing signs of distress, especially if they are a friend, family member, or student. Cognito could help you build the confidence to have these hard conversations. Cognito is a 30-minute online training simulation course provided by the CWC to help you notice signs of distress and appear, learn how to talk about these signs, practice sharing your concerns, and motivate them to seek help. Visit counseling.ufl.edu forward slash Cognito to learn more and get started. Caring starts with you.
2: And now back to the show. So, okay. So people might be really reluctant at first. Yes. But if you give, if you give me the out that I don't have to come in and bear my soul. Yes. Then I can warm up naturally and gradually to that space. And maybe Absolutely. surprise myself, surprise you, <laughs> just surprise my, you know, my peers, like I may Absolutely. very well surprise myself.
0: Yeah. And I have said that to folks, because I've I, there's so many group members that I've worked with, that when we first met, they're like, well, I might have a hard time opening up and speaking. And then week one, I'm like, oh, you told us that's a really meaningful experience. And they got to see how the group responded to that and really connected to them. And so sometimes it can just feel so moving. If a group member is unsure, if they take the risk and do it, seeing it happen, when they see how folks respond in the group and myself, when someone shares and is their and how we really treat them with care and support and excitement to connect with them the other group members just kind of follow and are dying to share after that wow yeah I mean it's not that way for every single person obviously some folks you know it takes them a while to warm up but they tend to feel more comfortable after seeing one person share and not go well
2: yeah I'm thinking about a couple of experiences that I have had as a participant in group, and I've been in a lot of group therapy um, in the process of learning to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. I found that getting feedback from other people helped me see areas that were outside of my awareness about Mm -hmm. how, how I was coming across to people, what was working, what wasn't working so well. And I, I'm remembering that hearing positive feedback from my group members was so healing. It was so healing that sometimes I would just go home and cry for hours because I like, I didn't know that people could have such appreciation for seeing me um, in, a, in a more raw way than Mm -hmm. I normally thought that I could show myself and just how truly therapeutic that was. But also like, it can be really uncomfortable to hear positive feedback. And so even just getting attention is Mm -hmm. such an interesting thing to get used to. And then I'm also thinking about some feedback I got that was really hard to hear. I remember I was doing a group with a bunch of other graduate students who were also training to become counselors. And they told me that I could come across as really superior Mm. at times, which I think, you know, 15 years later, I still probably struggle with at times. Like when I think I'm right, I can, you know, take an elevated position. That's not one Mm. of like being curious about your perspective or, and it was, you know, to, to learn that people, my age kind of perceived me as being superior, better than was excruciating to hear, but it really marked a turning point in my relationships to those people. Mm -hmm. I kind of decided that I would rather be off the pedestal, you know. I would rather have real friends and mm. connect to people than need to like hold myself as somehow above. And the the whole reason I was holding myself above was because I felt pretty sure that they wouldn't like me if I was,
0: mm.
2: you know. It was like it was like layered, mm-hmm. but that that was feedback that I just don't think I could have ever gotten if I was just in a one-on-one counseling relationship. Right. Um, because the counselor wouldn't have seen me doing that stuff. No.
0: And you wouldn't have been bringing in the information in that way. If if, you, if it was a blind spot for you, how could you bring it into the room with that individual therapist? So yeah, you bring up a really good point in group counseling. There's an opportunity for you Um, and everyone else in the room to see those patterns you have out in your life. They're there in the moment in the room. And so focusing on what's in the room in the space is really helpful and applicable to your life. You're also highlighting too about how difficult it is to receive feedback or when folks, someone sees you or experiences you in a way that doesn't match how you see or experience yourself it's extremely painful. And yet growth and healing can be really excruciating. So it's not for the meek, (laughs) which is why um, I think some people don't pursue counseling because of that. I think others don't have the same access or awareness for how it could be helpful. But some people decided that they're not ready to because they're not ready to do that work just yet. And that's okay too.
2: Yeah, I needed a lot of both, you know, I needed a lot of that Mm -hmm. one on one stuff, I had some sexual trauma that I needed to unpack Mm -hmm. and just, uh, you know, I needed some of that really dedicated one on one space. But I also, man, I just really learned. Yeah, I gradually learned to be I think I said this once, but I learned to be at home and myself around other people um, Mm -hmm. as a result of being in group.
0: Well, they say it takes a village, right, to, but it, it takes a village to really grow to your true potential, too, because, you know, um, it's hard for us to see, it's hard for any one person to see it all, have the whole 360 view, and so you need folks to talk and, and to share, oh, there's a blind spot here, and this is what it looks like, this is what's getting, you know, this is what's hiding over here, let's bring it into...
2: Into the light. Yeah. And look at it with kindness and right. and probably like half the room can relate to having the same thing now that it's oh gosh, out, yes. you know, in the middle for everybody to look at.
0: Yes. Well, what's great about group two is your healing is not just your healing. So yeah, you get to own your healing and enjoy it and enjoy the aches and pains of it too. <laughs> but what you're right, when your work is out in the center of the group floor, Other folks around get to say, wait a minute, that's my work too. Okay, let me watch and see how Sarah's working through her stuff. Because what she's working through is helping me to work through mine. And that doesn't happen in
2: individual. You can kind of piggyback on somebody else's growth.
0: Absolutely. I I say a lot of times too, it inspires folks to think about their own lives in a way that they might not have if they hadn't heard your experience or witnessed your experience.
2: I wonder if now would be an okay time to transition to talking more specifically about a little bit about what's available at the UF Counseling and Wellness Center. And if you're listening sure. at, you know, in another university, a lot of university counseling centers have group programs as well, yes. and college may be one of the only opportunities that you'll have to be part of a group because the resources are just there and the numbers are there to get folks to participate out in the quote unquote real world. It's harder to find therapy groups, although they are out there, they just might be more in big cities and Mm -hmm. um, things like that. So it is a unique opportunity if you are in college and have access to a college counseling center that has a group's program to check out what they have to offer. Absolutely. How does it work to get into a group specifically at the CWC, Annalisa?
0: So at the CWC, you would start with a brief consultation. That's um, our entry point, you know, to to any of our services, to access access any of our services other than our outreach. Outreach, You can just go on our website and access whenever you want Um, workshops, that is. But for a group, you would need to call our front desk and say you'd like a consultation. You could even let them know you're interested in learning more about groups. So you'd meet with a therapist and they would get a brief sense of kind of what's going on with you, a little bit about components of who you are uh, and we'll share what group opportunities are available and if they're a good fit for you because if it is important whether it's individual or group counseling if it's not the appropriate um, kind of place for you to do your work and the timing's not right for you it's not going to work um, so that therapist can in that consultation can help you kind of sort through that which is really great
2: what about the commitment and what about the timing too? like can I get into a group at any time of the semester or how does that work?
0: Great question. So in terms of commitment with any group that you do whether that at a counseling center or not, you do want to be able to commit to attending regularly and staying for the full time. So most interpersonal process groups tend to be an hour and a half, some are up to 2 hours, and that really varies depending on the group and the intensity of the work they're trying to Do And how large the group is and all of that. But you need to commit to that for a while. Uh, Not just popping in and out whenever you feel like you want to talk or whenever you feel like you want to listen. This is growth and growth requires time and commitment. And, you know, you pull from the experience when there's spotty attendance. So if I'm sharing, opening up my heart to you and the folks are just kind of coming in and out whenever they want, I'm not gonna to wanna to share as much because you guys aren't committing to me in a way that in my opinion deserves me to share all of who I am. So the commitment is really important and some folks just aren't ready to do that. But if you are, you're more than welcome.
2: So I would commit to coming every week at the same time for- yes the semester usually?
0: Usually for the semester. So how it works at the CWC is we usually, if it's a new group, we'll usually start a few weeks into the semester, maybe up to a month, cause it takes a while to do all the group screenings and make sure we've found appropriate group members. And then once we start, we go all the way through the end of the semester. So we usually stop around the week before finals week because folks tend to be focused on academics and uh, that makes sense. Um, But you would go from once the group starts all the way to the end of the semester. Some people return for groups and so just plop right back in the following semester with the same group.
2: Okay so there's an if I really love group and I and you know the people that I'm in group with are really committed to it and want to continue there's actually the potential opportunity that we could all sign back up for the same group or maybe you know maybe that time doesn't work we could go to a different group but there's not you're not going to kick me out of being in group therapy if I like it
0: absolutely not and thankfully just how it works resources wise we're able to do that you know um but absolutely not we want folks to get that opportunity
2: So I could, as a UF student, like I could be in one group one semester and then try a different group the next semester and just kind of like be a groupie. If I (laughs) I was benefiting from the different kinds of groups that the CWC offered...
0: Yes, you could. It would be important to make sure that you're not just bouncing around for fun, right? Like it it has to be, again, a good fit for you and based on what you're wanting to work on. So we have had folks maybe do an interpersonal process group and then later on say, you know, I could really benefit from um, learning some anxiety skills. And so let me do that group for a semester and then come back to the interpersonal process group later. We also have groups that are specific to particular issues or identities, Um, So I mentioned that Black women's group. We have graduate student groups. We have groups centered around certain experiences. So there's a sexual assault survivors group, bereavement group. So there are lots of different options, and a person can kind of, quote, unquote, bounce around depending what they need at that time.
2: Okay. And what about groups for, like, I don't know, like really serious levels of struggle? Like, yes do you have any, like if I just got out of the hospital for maybe, you know, maybe a suicide attempt or maybe thinking about suicide in a really serious way, or if I'm struggling, like I have been cutting myself for a long time to cope with overwhelming feelings. um, Or I just, I don't know, like I'm just, I keep failing out of school um, because of some patterns that aren't, you know, very helpful for school, but I don't, I can't find a way to get out of that. Like I don't know if t- working on my friendships at that time is necessarily <laughs> you know what I what right. I need like is there sure. is there anything for that sort of experience? So at
0: the CWC, we do have um, what we call peer support. And uh, there are a few groups that are focused on working on more, how would I describe it? This is not my forte. So maybe I'm like more word, in, just
2: intensive concerns.
0: Yes, more intensive concerns. And again, I think sometimes we assume it something is wrong with us, but I think in these groups you'll get to explore that, no, there's, there's a reason why the, you're having these experiences and wanting to work through that. But Also getting a community to do
2: that with. So I could meet other students who have also been struggling with more like longer term or recurrent mental health challenges or maybe just like a lot of trauma that they've experienced and that they're responding to.
0: Exactly. And so, again, there would be therapists in that group to support you in the process. But the idea is for you, my understanding is for the um, students to learn how to support each other and through that community really work on their healing.
2: Okay, so it sounds like if that folks should just reach out to the counseling center to get more information, Um, the, the point being that there's like a broad array of offerings there
0: is. And just looking at the website it might be helpful, but if you have questions or you're not sure how this description fits with what you're going through, uh, that's why that consultation is so important because we can help you kind of weed through that um, and determine what, what might work best for you.
2: If I wanted to be in a therapy group at the CWC or a peer support group at the CWC, Mm -hmm. when's the best time to try to get into a group? (laughs) I I hear you all, um, you know, stay busy at the counseling center.
0: Yeah, you know, once you realize that there's an issue and you want to work on it, reach out to us. What I will say is some of our groups fill up really fast. Um, and some of them are a little slower. (laughs) And so we never know for sure, uh, but usually by the middle of the semester, Many or most of them are full, um, and even the ones that are not full, you may still be able to join, but what can be challenging is like you just get started before the semester ends and there's a break. Um, And so come whenever you're, you're realizing there's a concern and you're feeling even remotely ready to look at that. I would say come in right away. Worst case scenario, we try to get you what you need in that moment and then get you started for a group when one opens up again.
2: Okay. That's helpful to know. I have one last question. Sure. You've been talking a lot about being open and real and taking off the mask. Mm-hmm. How do I know that these people aren't just going to go like share my business everywhere? Uh,
0: yeah, uh, that is a challenge,
2: especially in this culture with social media
0: and just sharing information far and wide. Um, so there's some rules, you know, of uh, Confidentiality. So, as therapists, we're legally bound to that. As other group members, the therapists are really looking to screen for folks who are committed and willing to hold information confidential. So, we're not able to kind of guarantee that. And we're honest about that. We can't guarantee that. You know, Sarah as a group member might not share something with her boyfriend, but we're really um, working on not just our trust, but really screening for okay, does this person seem serious and have a reverence for this healing process? And then what usually helps too is folks are equally invested. And so you sharing, if I'm going to share your business, that opens me up for my business to be shared. And so that usually helps too. But we talk about confidentiality during the screening. As therapists, we, we try to screen folks out who either don't seem committed to the group or committed to holding that rule and guideline. And then we reiterate that throughout the counseling process.
2: It sounds like you're you're looking for people who are willing to keep other people's privacy. Absolutely. That that's a value that they hold and that they also yes. um, know that they're asking other students. It's, it is, it's It's a bond of trust. Like, yes. I remember a group that I participated in actually for years. The rule was that I could share about my experience in the group with anybody yes. I wanted to like, wow, I'm so proud of myself. I talked about this today. Um, and And this is how I felt when I talked about this. And even like, these anonymous people that I'm in group with were really nice to me. Like I could, Uh I could say that to my Uh friends, my family, but what I couldn't say is like Rosa talked about how her dad used to treat her. And yeah, that
0: is the same rule. (laughs) It's been, that's the rule that stands. You can share your experience because that's your information. Um, And so you get to be in charge of your own information. Um, so if it's yours, Sarah, you can share it however you would like, but you cannot share Rosa's. Rosa can only share hers.
2: And that seems fair, right? Like that seems, yes. yeah. Anything else that you would want to add to this conversation today, Annalisa? Yeah,
0: I would say if you're curious about group, reach out and ask. A therapist who does group counseling. So whether you're at UF, I mean, if you're at UF for sure, call us, right? But if you aren't at UF, reach out and ask someone who does groups and get their perspective. Because what you see on TV um, is not always a reflection of what group is. Sometimes TV, you know, they glamorize things. They, they, they want to make it entertaining. So I would say reach out and, and learn more. Okay.
2: Thank you so much for sharing your passion for group, your knowledge, your experience. And uh, it makes me really grateful for the chances that I've had to be part of a group and also Mm. reflect on the um, wonderful opportunities that I've had to facilitate groups at the CWC for for UF students. I think you did a beautiful job of capturing some of the magic that happens. Mm. It really is a... um, powerful, powerful place.
0: It is. It can feel magical. And that's why I I love groups. If it was up to me, I would do more. But, you know, there's only certain, there are only so many hours in the day, but groups are amazing, group counseling, and so I really encourage folks to learn more. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found, please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash talks